Last week, we had jumped ahead in Luke's gospel to the sixth chapter. Today, we move back to Luke chapter 4. Our lesson passage begins in Luke 4, verse 14. Luke 4, 14 begins, And Jesus returned to Galilee. Jesus was returning from Judea, where he had been baptized by John the Baptist, then spent his 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. We, we don't know the fullness of that temptation experience. Luke gives us only a portion at the end of the 40 days. But in verse 2, Luke does say that Jesus was led about by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days while tempted by the devil. Then Luke recounts the specific temptations that came at the end of this 40-day period. Jesus was hungry after a 40-day fast, so Satan tempted him with meeting a legitimate physical need in an illegitimate way, a temptation that's common to man. Then he was tempted with easy acquisition of power and wealth, again through illegitimate worship, another temptation common to man. Finally, he was tempted with an illegitimate test of his trust in God, yet again a temptation common to all of us. In fact, Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus was tempted in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. These temptations that Luke records are both significant and representative temptations, but it's important to remember in verse 13, and when the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Satan had brought every conceivable temptation to Jesus, and yet he remained sinless by answering each temptation with trust in the Word of God. It is written, Jesus would say. But Satan hadn't given up. He would return again and again to tempt Jesus to abandon his mission and purpose and to reject the will of his Father. You know, there's several lessons in these opening verses of chapter 4, but really there for another time. Today our lesson begins in the next verse, Luke chapter 4 verses 14 through 30, when Jesus returns to Galilee from the Judean wilderness. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding region. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Jesus had gone from the spiritual mountaintop of his baptism, confirmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit and even the voice of the Father, He'd been in the wilderness of temptation, led and empowered by the Holy Spirit and yet fully trusting his Father. And now he was returning to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. You know, for us, it is, it's easy to be led by the Spirit and recognize the power of the Spirit while on spiritual mountaintops. But it is in the spiritual wildernesses when we most need to be reminded of his presence. It is in the spiritual wildernesses when we must will ourselves to trust our Father who is in heaven. It was in the wilderness when the power of temptation was focused on him that he remembered and spoke the word of God to himself. Oh, that we would remember to do that when we face the temptations of this world. Yeah, but news about him had, had spread throughout Galilee. He was seen by then as a miracle worker and as a healer. He was becoming famous and really was quite a celebrity. 
He was going from village to village, teaching in the synagogue, and was praised by all. And then verse 16 says, He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. See, he was recognized as a teacher and was called such. The head of the synagogue would have invited him to read and teach that Sabbath. Synagogues weren't like the temple where there were dedicated priests who did all the teaching. They were, they were more like a Sunday school class where the teaching might be shared among several people. And if a, a well-known teacher were to visit, they would be asked to teach. And it was his custom to be in the synagogue on each and every Sabbath. And this Sabbath, he was in his hometown in Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and he was asked to read and teach. Standing up to read the scroll, it was a, a show of respect for the Word of God. Many churches even today will stand to read Scripture together and stand during responsive readings. Verse 17 tells us the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. This may have been the scheduled reading for the day, or in deference to the guest teacher, he may have selected it. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So far, so good. This very familiar passage was a, a messianic prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 61. The Messiah was to come in the favorable year of the Lord, and it was good news that he was coming. The poor here isn't limited to the economically poor, although many in the synagogue would have fit that description. It was actually parallel to the meaning of poor in spirit, the downcast, the spiritually impoverished. They are given the good news that Messiah was coming. The release of captives, the blind and the oppressed, all are terms which are both physical and spiritual. But this prophecy would have primarily been heard as Messiah is coming to make things right someday. It's, it's just as we might say, Jesus is coming again someday. Someday in the future he will come again. Someday in the future, Messiah will come. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the people in the synagogue were intently directed at him. Verse 21 says, Now he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Yeah, I think the response was a little delayed. They'd heard this prophecy before. Maybe they'd even tuned him out a little bit by then. Did he really say, today this has been fulfilled in our hearing? Yeah, but, you know, he sure was a good teacher. He is one of us. So verse 22 says, all the people were speaking well of him and admiring his gracious words, which were coming from his lips. And yet they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? in the middle of their admiration, in the middle of the recognition of his gracious words, we hear, and yet, and yet. Whenever I see or hear that phrase, it indicates to me a disconnect of some sort. 
It's like they were saying, he sure is a good speaker, but isn't that Joseph's son? The one we remember growing up here? You know, what's really so special about him that he can teach like this? Why does he think he knows when our Messiah is coming? It almost sounds like he thinks he is Messiah. He better repent of that thought. Verse 23, and he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. All the miracles that we heard were done in Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. In other words, they're saying, we didn't come here to listen to you teach. It's the miracles we want to see. It's the spectacle, the show that we've heard about. Get over yourself, little Jesus bar Joseph, and do something. Verse 24 says, but he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a severe famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of the widows of Israel, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many with leprosy in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Do you, do you see what he's done here? He has said that the messianic prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled by his presence, that he was Messiah. But his hometown folks would not and did not welcome him. Then he showed them that even the greatest of the prophets, Elijah and Elisha, were sent to and cleansed and healed and worked miracles, not among their own people Israel, but God used them to open up the eyes of Gentiles and enemies of Israel. And the hometown folks of Nazareth got it. How dare he come back here and talk to us like that? Who does this son of Joseph think he is? Verse 28 says, And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and brought him to the crest of the hill on which their city had been built so that they could throw him down from the cliff. You know, we've seen this kind of thing over the past few weeks and years. How a group of people can go from being an audience to becoming a mob. This is no new phenomenon. It's easy for individuals to be influenced by the group and to be taken along to places you wouldn't go on your own, and to do things you wouldn't do by yourself. This group effect can be either beneficial or harmful when a group of believers submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and to the truth of the Word of God are together in worship, you can be swept to a spiritual mountaintop. But when influenced by a group of worldly peers, <clears throat> you can easily be led away from a godly path. Here is this group. Having sat at the feet of Jesus and heard him personally teach from the word of God, at first amazed by him and his teaching, but then led as a group from a feeling perhaps of conviction to rejection to violence. And verse 30 says, but he passed through their midst and went on his way. And Jesus then passes through the crowd, untouched 
and goes on his way. You know, what I find most disturbing in this whole scene is that last sentence. These folks had sat at the feet of Jesus. They'd been in close contact with him. They'd touched him. They, and then he just left them and went on his way. He didn't try to prove to them who he was by working some mighty miracle. He didn't put on a show for them. He just spoke and taught through the word of God that he was Messiah. They'd been so close. They had touched. They had seen. And yet they rejected him. I still find it disturbing to realize that people, young people, older people, who've been in church perhaps for many years, who have heard the word of God preached and taught, who have been carried along emotionally to mountaintops during worship services, but who then give in to the influence of the worldly mob around them and go along down a path away from God, and then comes the day when they allow Jesus to slip away. You see, he slips away from mobs, but he holds individuals in his hand. Jesus is Messiah. He is Savior, but He is a personal Savior. Each one must, on his own, individually commit themselves to Him and His way, even against the mob. Then He promises that He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never slip away. I pray that you know Jesus as who He is, as Lord and as Savior, that you remember that he is with you always, even when the mob of the world says no. May our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen.